told you that what we're going to talk about tonight is something that you probably hear about a lot in church, and most of you probably could even tell me, at least give me an idea of what it means to you, but I think a lot of times we misunderstand exactly what it is, and this is the gospel, okay? Now, some of you are sitting here going, oh my gosh, I've been going to church for, how long have you been serving the church, Grace? 17 years? Serving the church by pooping on the changing tables. Um, So... Some of us have been going to church our entire lives and we're sitting here going, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I'm 17 years old and I'm having to be told what the gospel is. But I want to be very clear about something is that the gospel is not something that ever changes. It's not something that ever ages. It's not something that ever becomes something that you don't need. Okay. And we're going to talk about that as we dive in tonight. But I think what happens is at some point in our life, we hear the gospel for the first time, or maybe the second time or third time. The first time we really realize what it means to us, and we accept it. And then I think from that point on, the gospel kind of changes in our minds, or the way we relate to it changes. And so what I want to do tonight is I want us to just look at the gospel in its just pure form. Okay, I want to just do a very base look at the importance of it, why we need it, what it is, and how it applies to our life. Now, if I ask you all to take out a piece of paper right now and write down what the gospel is to you, I'm sure I would get a variety of different answers. Now, I would hope that at least one of you would put the meaning of gospel, which is good news. Okay? That's literally what the word gospel means. It means good news. Okay? And, And so... You know, realistically, all the gospel is for us is it's the good news concerning our relationship with and to God. So I think if we if if I also ask you right now, how receptive are people in our world to the gospel today? You would probably say not very receptive, like people just don't want to hear it. They're not excited to hear it. And And I wanted to. I want to look at two reasons very briefly about why people aren't very open to hearing the gospel. And I think it really boils down to one of two things. One, they don't believe in God. Okay? I think that a lot of people in our society, in our world, don't believe in the God that we serve, with the God that we know loves us, created us, and designed a plan for our life. And if you don't believe that that God exists, who, who formed and wrote and created the gospel then you're not receptive to the gospel, right? You're not going to believe it. You're not going to want to hear it. So the first thing is people aren't receptive to the gospel because they don't believe in God. The second reason that I think people aren't very receptive to the gospel is, is the one that I think is a critical error, and we're going to really dive into tonight, and it's that they don't understand how damaged their relationship with God is. And we've talked over the last four weeks about this disconnected series, about how we become disconnected from God. But today we're talking about the thing that ultimately disconnects us from God. And and what we're going to look at is fully understanding exactly how damaged our relationship with God is and why the gospel is so critical for us in our relationship with God. Now, looking back at this idea of, of... you know, trying to make people receptive to the gospel. If people, are, if people just don't believe in God, 
right? Like that's a, that's a much tougher battle to fight. Like you're trying to convince someone that God exists. I'm not saying that it can't happen, but it's a much tougher battle. We all understand that. But honestly, I think realistically, the number of people who just flat out don't believe that God exists is a lot lower than you might think. Now, a lot of people live their life like, like God doesn't exist, but it doesn't mean that they don't believe that God doesn't exist. In fact, I, I have a strong feeling that if we took a poll of your entire high school class or whatever, a large group of your peers, and said, just yes or no, do you believe that God exists? I think that number, honestly, I really do believe that that number would be a lot higher than many of you might expect. That people actually believe that God exists. I think that most people just don't live their life like they believe that God exists. What they do is they simply fail to understand the gravity of the situation relating to their relationship with God. They believe that God exists, but they think that that's enough. Like they feel like, hey, I believe that God exists, and when we die, we go to heaven if we believe that God exists. They believe that all they have to do is simply acknowledge that God and maybe even Jesus exists and they'll be good. But they don't understand that that line of thinking ultimately sends a lot of people to hell. The Bible makes it very clear that simply acknowledging or believing in God's existence is not enough. Because there's no relational quality in that. There's no relationship in just believing that someone exists. Like, I believe that Michael Jordan exists, but I don't have a relationship with him. Like, there's a difference between just believing in something and actually having a relational piece to it. You know, there's really two problems that I think people come across when they try to form this relationship with God. Like I think that, I think that if people believe that God exists and then they think, okay, maybe I, maybe I should form some sort of relationship. They come across two barriers. First is that we have to participate in it and we have to work in it. And I think a lot of people aren't willing to work at their relationship with God. That's the first obstacle. The second obstacle is the one that the gospel is literally created to fix and it's because God, who is truly and wholly good, meaning that he is all good and there is no part of him that is bad, is, is so good, and it, meaning that he can't even associate with anything that isn't also fully good. Like if God were to associate himself with anything that was flawed at all, he would then not be God. He would not be wholly good. And, and so in this idea... That, that God is wholly good and we are not, right? We are, we are flawed humans. God cannot associate with us or really even have a relationship with us at all. Like, like do we see the problem there now? Like, the problem is that God is so good and we are so not good that God can't even connect with us. He can't associate with us. He can't have a relationship with us. And, and this sounds bad, right? Like you're like sitting here going, okay, we were talking about the gospel. That's good news. And this sounds like bad news. You just told me that God cannot 
connect with me and cannot have a relationship with me. And, and guys, I want to be very clear. That is bad news. Like that is honestly the worst news that you could ever hear. And, and I think that that's why so many people today don't understand how critical having a relationship with God is. Is because they don't understand that God not being able to actually connect us and relate to us because he is 100% good. People don't realize that that disconnect even exists between them and God. I, I, I mean, I, I literally can't stand up here with human words and state enough how bad of a situation this is. Like literally, I'm living a life that is destined to lead me to separation from God because God cannot be in a relationship with me because I am not wholly good. But it's this bad news, this this horrible, worst news you could possibly hear that makes the good news of the gospel oh so wonderful. And it's the good news that you can actually have a relationship with God. You can spend eternity with him in heaven. And it's all because of Jesus' death on the cross. That's why the cross is a main Christian symbol. Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection conquering death is the, the only thing that can create and allow a relationship between you and God. You know, we call the first four, four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four books, we call them the Gospels. Because in reality, what the Gospels do, those four books, they tell the story of Jesus' life. So they tell the Gospel. They tell the good news, right? Is this, this story that Jesus was a man, okay, He was a man who was fully God and fully man. Meaning that being fully God, he was 100% good, right? We already established that God is 100% good. And because he was 100% good, he lived a perfect life, which is something that none of us can say, all right? Like we can sit here and we can be the best human ever, but all of us have done things that make us not good, Right? That make us, the Bible calls it sin, right? That make us sinners. But Jesus came and he lived a perfect life that was free from any sin. It was perfect, it was 100% holy, good. And yet he died on a cross for what? He, he died because he was perfect? Like it doesn't make sense. To, to, to kill someone, to accuse someone or something if they are perfect. But the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell us the story of Jesus, this man who lived a perfect life, dying a death of a criminal. And ultimately, he raises from the dead, which, which is truly... Something that no other religion, no other belief, no other thing can say about their God. 
all of these other religions in the world. They believe in gods or prophets that died and stayed dead. Christianity is the only one that believes in a a Messiah who died and rose again, meaning that he conquered death. Meaning that the, the death that he died was not ultimately what did him in. The death that we all deserve because of our sin, the things we do bad, is not what is going to do us in. We have to understand that, that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those, those four books of the Bible, they tell a story about how Jesus this man who was full this person who was fully god fully man died on the cross because of our sin i said he, he lived a perfect life but yet he died a criminal's death he died the death that we deserved he died for us so that we could have communication with god again he paid the penalty for our mistakes you know, I think those four books of the Bible, the Gospels, really tell how the story unfolds. But in reality, I don't think that's exactly what the Gospel is. And let me tell you exactly what I'm saying here. Don't, don't get me wrong, because the, the story of Jesus' life is, is good news, right? Like, it is literally something that is great for us. That it takes this bad news that we can't have a relationship with God, and it makes it to where we can have a relationship with God. But there's a sequence of verses in the book of Romans... It's known kind of as a fun name as the Romans Road, okay? And, and, and personally for me, whenever I'm trying to teach someone about what the gospel is and what it means to them, this is my go-to, okay? Because I think that the writer of Romans, it's Paul, if you know who Paul is, the writer of Romans does a really good job of laying out with these verses exactly what the gospel is and exactly what the gospel means for us. So... You know, it's, it's really comprised of four different verses. It's Romans 3, 23 and 24, Romans 5, 8, Romans 6, 23, and then ultimately Romans 10, 9. And, and honestly, most of these verses are probably ones that you've heard before, probably ones that you know. Some of you could probably even get up here and recite some of these verses for you tonight. Any volunteers? No? Okay. These are verses that we hear frequently. But I think a lot of times we don't understand exactly how important they are or how much they apply to our life. And honestly, you know, a lot of people like to say, oh, the Romans road goes 323, uh, 623, 5, uh, 5, 8, and then 10. Like they have this order that it goes in. And honestly, I don't think that's the best way to look at these verses. And so what I do whenever I walk through the Romans road, whenever I look through the Romans road, is I just kind of like push them all together because they all say the same thing. They're all teaching the good news of who Jesus is and what he did for us. You know, I like to read it starting with 323, then the first half of 623, then 5-8 in the middle, 620, the second half of 623, and then the end of 324 because what it does is it really builds this story of the gospel, and it really lays out very nicely exactly what the gospel is. And so, I'm going to read this to you right now. These three passages all crammed together. 
And I'm going to break it into three parts so that we can understand exactly what the Bible says about the gospel. So starting with 323, it says, For all of sin have fall short of the glory of God, meaning that the wages of sin is death. Right? Literally, we know that a wage, like if you go to, job, you go to a job and you make a wage, it's, it's your paycheck, right? It's what you earn, what you deserve. And so like it literally says, for all of sin, meaning everyone has sinned and falls short of the glory of God, and the wage of that is death. Right? That because we sin, because each and every one of us sin, we all deserve death. We are destined for death, separated from God. Like, that's literally was the bad news, right? That was where we started tonight, was the bad news, that we're destined to be separated from God. And then we get to what God did about this in Romans 5, 8. It says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Meaning he took the punishment, he took what we deserved, the death that was our wage for the sin that we live, he took that for us out of the love, out of his love for us. It shows how much God loves us that he sent his only son, Jesus, who was wholly good to die the death that we deserve and pay the price for our sins and create a way for us to have a relationship with God. And then we wrap it up here with the second half of 623 and 324. It says, And the gift of God, this gift of God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we are justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that comes by Jesus Christ. And this last part just tells us that we have a gift of eternal life waiting for us. That we can spend eternity with God and that we're justified through Jesus' death and resurrection. And and, and I think that this, this... this three passages merged together really tells us the entirety of what the gospel is. The good news concerning our relationship with God. Right? Our relationship with God was, was non-existent, impossible. And the good news, the gospel, is that we can now have a relationship with God through the death of Jesus and his resurrection. But here's the part missing. We can all know this. And honestly, I'm going to be sitting, I'm going to be very honest with you right now. I know a lot of Christians who know these things. I know a lot of people who attend church that know these things, that think that they are saved, that they're a Christian, but they're not because they miss this critical part that we're we're about to talk about. We're missing the part that tells us what we're supposed to do about it. Right? We can, we can all sit here. We can all believe these things. That Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But what do we do about it? I, I told you that the two things that stop people from having a relationship with God is one, our sin. That, that, and we just covered how that's not a factor anymore because Jesus died for it. But two was the fact that people have to actually do something about it. They have to care about their relationship with God and they have to pursue it. And that's what we have to do right here. This this final passage, Romans 10, 9 through 10. And this is one of my favorite passages in scripture because it tells us exactly what God asks from us. The simple thing, and it says this. 
If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you confess and you're saved. You see right there, it tells us that just believing that God exists or just believing that Jesus died on the cross is not enough. That's how you're justified. That's a, it says by, by believing in your heart is how you're justified, meaning that justice has been served on your behalf in Jesus' death. But it's by proclaiming and confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you are truly saved. And this passage is an amazing representation of how salvation isn't just one part of you. It's the whole thing. It's a whole physical, mental, emotional, spiritual acceptance of what Jesus did for you. And a devotion to live your life out of appreciation for that sacrifice that we talked about last week. Right? We talked about how we don't appreciate God for what he did. And this is a devotion to live our life out of appreciation to God for that sacrifice. I'm going to ask you guys to do something for me right now. This isn't the Bible part yet. We're almost there. But I want you to think for just, just a few seconds. I want you to think about the three people in your life who most need the gospel. This is not an out loud thinking activity. This is just to yourself. I want you to think about the three people in your life who most need to hear this gospel, this good news that we talked about tonight. I'll give you just a second to think about it. I'm sure we all came up with a wide range of different people. Some were probably family members. Some were our friends. Some were random people that go to our school that were like, we, they just really need Jesus. Maybe for some of us, it's ourself. You know, the more, the more I thought about this, I kind of posed this question to myself as I was writing this lesson. And I kind of had this realization that if you are given the opportunity to think about who in your life most needs the gospel and you don't start that list with yourself, you're missing the point of the gospel. Because it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian your whole life or if you just became a Christian last week. All of us desperately need the gospel every single day. I feel like many of us that live the Christian life feel like we get to a point to where we don't really need the gospel anymore. You know, I mean, if, if we're explicitly asked in church, like, do you need the gospel? We're like, well, yeah, I need the gospel. Duh. 
But our lives and our mentalities don't reflect the fact that we actually believe that. We, we, feel, that, we feel that it's lost people who need the gospel. No, that's not wrong. They do. But we feel that they're the only people who need the gospel. Guys, we need to remember that just because we live as Christians covered by the grace of God, we are still practicing sinners. We still practice sin on a daily basis. And we are still deserving of the death and separation from God that our sin earns us. But just because of the gospel and the gospel alone, we are forgiven from the sin. And just because we're forgiven today doesn't mean that we stop sinning and that we are no longer need of forgiveness ever. Just because we, we believe in this, this biblical principle of, of the assurance of the believer, meaning that once you're saved and you're truly written in the Lamb's book of life, as, as the Bible calls it, that God you cannot be plucked out of God's hand just because we believe in this, this point of theology doesn't mean that we stop sinning and we no longer need the gospel for forgiveness. Guys, we need to be living in a constant state of repentance and in a constant state of gratefulness towards the gospel and what it means for us. That Jesus died on the cross for the sin you committed, not just when you got saved and not just all the sins before that, but Jesus died on the cross for the sin that you committed today. Jesus died on the cross for the sin that you're going to commit whenever you get home tonight. Jesus died on the cross for the sin you're going to commit tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that. The gospel never stops being applicable to us as humans because we constantly live in a state of sin. And if you aren't living your life in this, in this ultimate repentive and grateful manner, then you need to get something straight in your life tonight. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is to pick up the Bible. And I'm going to ask you to do something that I've been doing myself lately. If you turn to Psalm 51, what page number was it on? 309? 306. Okay, sorry. I just flipped the six upside down. Okay. If you go to page 306 in that orange and brown Bible, you'll find Psalm 51. Now, a little context for this. We, oh, most of us probably know the story of David and Bathsheba. Okay, right? David, who was this ultimate, like, great godly man. The Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. Commits this great sin. And he, he sees a woman bathing on the roof next to his and he calls her over and then he ultimately has a child with her and has her husband killed and, and everything spirals out of control. Okay, So he's just committed. This man who was an ultimate godly man who had experienced the forgiveness of God in his life commits yet another sin that spirals out of control. And he doesn't, he's not living repentant of that sin like we just talked about. He's kind of living like many Christians today where he didn't feel like the gospel meant anything to him anymore. He needed to live his life in repentance. And this man named Nathan came along and he rebuked him. And he told him, you are in so need of repentance. And we're not going to go into the whole story. But what this is, Psalm 51 
is what David wrote right after Nathan rebuked him and he realized how desperate he was to repent for what he had done. And so what I've been doing in my own life is I've been starting out every morning reading Psalm 51. It's just a prayer to God, just repenting for, for all the areas that I fail him. And so what I want to do, and, and I see that some of you have already started reading, and that's fine. But I'm going to read Psalm 51 to you guys. And I want you to think about how this relates to what we talked about tonight. About how living a life repentant of your sin is so critical for everyone, not just those who have never experienced salvation. But I'm going to read Psalm 51 with you right now. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, Have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight? So that you are provoked, so you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Since I was sinful at birth, sinful, uh, surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in my innermost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasures, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. You see, David realized that the, the, the theme of that passage over and over is cleanse me of my sins, blot out my transgressions, forgive me. God, you alone are the person I've sinned against. I have separated myself from you. God, please reconnect with me. And I think it's critical that we live our life to where that's our prayer every day. That we wake up in the morning and we say, God, I failed you yesterday. 
please reconnect with me. Help me to do better today. Guys, I I don't know where you're at in your relationship with God. Maybe there's some of you in here who have never experienced the salvation of the gospel. And tonight you need to just say, I want to confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Maybe you're at that place for the first time tonight. Maybe, maybe you've been to that place before, but you've been away from that place for so long that you don't even recognize that place. You don't even recognize who you are. And you just need to say, God, I come back to you. Forgive me for where I have failed you, that I've fallen away from you. Cleanse me and help me to live right in your eyes. Or maybe you're like the last one we talked about. You're the one who grew up a Christian. You come to church. You're faithful in this youth group. You're faithful in the church. You serve. You do all the right things. But you have lost the view of the gospel in your own life. The last time that you prayed for God to forgive you your sins, you don't even know when that was. Maybe that needs to be tonight. Ask God to forgive you for where you failed him.